Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey, welcome <coughs> to the program. Hey, that's a perfect Monday, start of the Monday work day for me today. Oh, couldn't find a place to park. The downtown, it's like gridlock. How come? I thought everybody would be already sort of starting to flit away for the holiday. Unless they flitted here, that maybe is what happened. I'm always thinking people are going. People are coming, too, I suppose. And then right before I was running down Smithfield Street, which is why I'm still a little out of breath, and uh, <laughs> I almost bumped into, came around a corner and almost bumped into this man who looked like a street person, um, grizzled, old, and pissed off. And, I mean, I just thought it was such a wonderful sort of urban, you know, here am I racing to sh after having trouble parking my car in this, you know, in this city that no longer wants us to drive them and wants us to be pedestrians and here's this guy who sure as hell doesn't have a car and he's coming around the corner on his own two feet and he, he was muttering, you know, and, and the muttering, I heard the muttering before I saw him and then as we almost uh, collided, I realized that what he was saying, and I he kept saying it as, I, as we passed each other, I could hear him as he went down the street the other way and I, and it, it made my day. Uh, here's what he was saying. Why does it always fucking have to fucking rain? It always has to fucking fucking rain. <laughs> Why does it? I, I was thinking, you know, if you were, yeah, I'm, I got a house over my head and I'm heading into a job with a roof. Um, poor guy. But for my reaction was, I it made me. It made me laugh. Now I'll beat myself up about that reaction the rest of the day. Jesus, it's a poor guy. What is the fucking fucking rain? Anyway. <coughs> oh, okay. <coughs> okay. Seriously. Gotta get my breath. You know how when you're in a hurry, everything sort of like the littlest thing trips you up? I was blown away when I ran into the lobby of this building and there was an elevator waiting for me with its door welcomingly open. Because sometimes in this building, I assure you, you can stand there for hours before an elevator deigns to come down and pick you up. And I thought, oh, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. And I raced in and pushed accidentally as I was pushing 22, which is what I was supposed to push, I pushed 20. No, I thought. Then I, I immediately started channeling, the, what is that, the fucking, fucking rain? God, I pushed 20. God. I pushed 22. And so the door shut, and I told myself, take a deep breath. The thing is, is when this elevator opens on a floor it 
takes forever for it to decide to move on. I mean, so stopping at 20, I figure, that's a good 10 minutes stuck on 20. Uh, anyway, the elevator stopped, and I looked up, and it wasn't 20. It was fucking 16. And I'm thinking, no, no, no one ever comes on when you're going up. 16, it opens, and some guy, maintenance, gets on. Normally, I would have said hello. I was too pissed off. So we sat there together, stood there together for a while, until the door decided to finally close. And, and then it stopped. I thought, thank God, 20. No. He had pushed 18. So I got to tell you, I was actually in the building about 20 minutes ago. If you've ever dealt with the subways, I thought I was getting on an express, and I turned out to have a local. But, I mean, I'm the one who started the problem, I guess. Anyway, that's it. Okay, I'm here, and I'm really uh, determined uh, to have um, a, a different kind of show I, I, today. I just can't. I mean, I can a little bit, um, but <laughs> do you know what I? You know what I'm saying, don't you? But I just can't. Um, I uh, oh, I have some like film reviews and television reviews. I'm serious. That's the kind of show it's gonna be. I'm going to do obits. I'm going to do marriage announcements. Yes, that's the kind of show I'm going to do. So my son and I happened upon two incredible documentaries this weekend. And we watched them back to back. Not that you have to. And for all I know, you've all seen both of them. And you're going to say, oh, you just saw that? Okay, for those of you who haven't seen these two, I highly recommend um, Tricky Dick and the Man in Black. <laughs> yeah, it's about Nixon and Johnny Cash. It, it, I loved it. I loved it. I've always loved Johnny Cash, but I love, love him even more now. I did not know about this little historical crossing of paths between uh, Johnny Cash and Richard Nixon, how Nixon attempted to use him in his Southern strategy, being a good Republican, trying to divide people. And uh, I just recommend it. It's it's wonderful. Tricky Dick and the Man in Black. Okay. And the other one is, I don't know the title. It's about singer Sharon Jones. I know, not a big name. Should have been. Should be. I think it's like Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. Incredible. 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 
That's all I want to say. Those two are what we saw, and I think we got them both on Netflix. Um, but really, if you're looking for something to watch. <laughs> and, and that's always assuming that, of course, your tastes are like mine. I mean, it, it is sort of crazy, isn't it, that we give people advice. The craziest thing is when I'm at a restaurant and the person I'm with says, oh, I can't figure out whether to get the grouper or the, uh, the lamb. And then they turn to the, the weight person and they say, which would you choose? And I'm thinking, what the hell difference does that make? Does that person who you don't even know have the same loves of food, the same tastes that you have? Why would you ask? What the hell are they supposed to say? They're not eating it. You're eating it. It always annoys me. Anyway. I mean, you could stop any random, you could stop the guy who's not right now over on Fifth Avenue, the fucking, fucking rain. You could stop him and say, grouper or lamb? What's your choice? Fuck grouper, fuck lamb. All right, so anyway, where was I? Oh, yeah, giving people advice on, I really like this, so, you know, you'll like it too, which is not true, but I'm just saying. It is going to be one of those shows. <sighs> and if Michael from the Cynics is listening, might not be, but my son also tried to get me to watch something called The Decline of Western Civilization, and it's about these like punk rock, at least one, there's, there's three, anyway, there, I wanted to ask Michael um, if he's seen that. Because I think he, I couldn't watch it. It was too, it was too, uh, nah. it was too angry. <laughs> and I don't need anything stoking anger right now. It was too angry and it was too young. I mean, it was the anger of the young. And I lived through that. I mean, I spent decades trying to come to terms with the rage I felt as a younger person than as a younger adult about how things aren't like they said they were. I mean, it took me forever. I'm still pissed off. Oh, my favorite tweet of the week. I retweeted it so some of you might have seen it. This is from Joel in West Virginia. He said this, Unpacked our nativity scene yesterday. Removed all the Jews, Arabs, and foreigners. Ended up with a jackass and a handful of sheep. <laughs> Ain't that the greatest? Should I do it one more time in case you're trying to get it in your head? You might want to be writing it down. Unpacked our nativity scene yesterday. Removed all the Jews, Arabs, and foreigners. Ended up with a jackass and a handful of sheep. Wow. 
uh, oh man, I guess the the funniest uh, thing, and then I won't mention them again. I swear, that happened over the weekend was it wasn't funny. I I never saw video of it because I simply can't anymore. I can't look at him. I can't listen to him. I can't. I mean, if I can help it, I just can't. But I've seen the still photos of him standing there in the forest that isn't burned. And I think that's Governor Jerry Brown, right, on his uh, left, right, on his left. And the governor coming in, Gavin Newsom, right, on his right. And then there's a woman, I don't know. And he's blathering on, you can tell. And that's apparently, first of all, He said something like, and it's just terrible what happened there to those people in pleasure. Pleasure. And I think Jerry Brown, whose face is down, he must be, I mean, talk about trying to restrain yourself from literally strangling this person you're standing next to. Uh, I think Jerry Brown might have said, "Uh, it's paradise. And uh, Trump says, uh, or paradise. In other words, not acknowledging that the town was not named pleasure, but being having said pleasure <laughs> and being corrected that it was paradise says, uh, or paradise. <laughs> <laughs> but the funniest thing was the, you know, I talked to the president of Finland. That is, that's just, that is too wondrous for words. Here's the quote. Wait, I don't think I have the whole thing here. Here. Okay. You gotta take care of the floors. <laughs> you know, you know, the floors of the forest. Very important. I was with the president of Finland. He called it a forest nation. And they spent a lot of time on raking and cleaning and doing things, and they don't have any problem. So, make America rake again, right? That's what it is. Oh, my God. And over 30% of our our brethren and sistren think this guy is an incredible president. <laughs> Woo-wee! All right, here we go. Um, okay, so more viewing tips. I haven't seen any of this, but the Wall Street Journal put out <coughs> some uh, things to watch on, in the holiday season, things coming out, ain't out yet. And um, I've seen the trailers for this, and... You know, as much as I love Ruth Bader Ginsburg, all right already. I mean, geez, we got 7,000 books. Uh, We got the wonderful uh, documentary about her. And now we've got a regular feature motion picture called On the Basis of Sex. And that's opening on Christmas Day. And uh, Felicity Jones, who's a British actress, very good actress, is playing Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, and uh, Ar- Army Hammer, 
Ar Army Hammer is playing her husband, Marty. And here's what I wanted to tell you. There's a sex scene. <laughs> There's a sex scene. Oh, that's what the documentary did not have. So there, there you go. There it is. There's a sex scene. Um, actually, it was supposed to be racier than it was, but when they, you know, they edited, they took out some of the racier parts of the sex scene. I don't know about you, but I do not want to see Ruth Bader Ginsburg having sex, even on screen. I just don't. For that matter, I don't want to see m almost anybody having sex. Anyway, so Ruth Bader Ginsburg was actually invited to a screening, seeing as it's about her. So there's this private screening, and after it was over, they were taking, I guess, they were asking the audience for feedback, and one audience uh, member said um, that the love scene was too much for them and did not think it belonged. I mean, please, the audience member said. And the director, a woman, by the way, Mimi Letter, said, yeah, I understand, but you should have seen it before. <laughs> and then everyone in the audience, of course, was looking at another member of the audience, namely Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And she acknowledged that she was being looked at, and she looked up and said to the director, I'm fine with it. You know, RBG! She's fine. I'm not fine with it, but she is. She's, she's cool with it. Just telling you. Isn't that wonderful? Anyway, that opens Christmas. Also opening on Christmas. Uh, something called Vice. And it's about a vice president. And specifically a vice president. And that vice president is... Uh -huh, the guy with no heart. Dick Cheney, ladies and gentlemen. And people are saying... First of all, it's the guy who's playing him. An extraordinary actor is playing him. An actor who can disappear into any role. And that would be Christian Bale. Christian Bale is playing Dick Cheney. And everybody's raving about it. Uh, Tyler Perry apparently absolutely nails Colin Powell. I mean, you got to have all these. And, and Sam Rockwell is George W. Uh, just saying. Dick Cheney, one of the worst men in the world. Okay, I think that ends my recommendations. Bill says, thanks for the recommendations. <laughs> okay. Well, that's all I got for you now. 
Uh, he says, I finally watched RBG Saturday night. What an amazing woman, right? But do you want to see her having sex? I mean, even in a fictionalized, I mean, I don't know. But isn't her husband the greatest? Yeah. Wow. She had the most modern and extraordinary marriage. You know, they all often say that one of the things that's difficult for women to achieve at the highest levels is they don't have a wife at home. You know, behind every man, behind every successful man is an extraordinary woman taking care of everything so that he can be the big guy. And women generally don't have that in a spouse. And that is what Ruth Bader Ginsburg had. She had a spouse who was so in love with her and so proud of her and so wanting to help her in any way. And he took on roles that men then never did. He cooked. <laughs> he cleaned. He, I think, did most of the children's raising kind of work and he loved her to death and it wasn't like he was some yeah you know stay-at-home daddy he, he was a prominent tax attorney himself but clearly didn't have a problem being married to a woman who outshone him and who he couldn't help enough to do that I'm in love with her, Marty Ginsburg. Jeez. I now have some sense of, you know, if you watch the documentary, when he died, and I think it was like eight years ago, maybe it was more. I mean, how, what a hole that would have left in her life. Speaking of spouses, I have, this is from the vows section of the Sunday New York Times, which is where they, <coughs> uh, you know, people announce their weddings. And uh, some some of these couples are, are uh, profiled. And they're often really fascinating uh, stories of how people meet. Or uh, It was my father's favorite part of the Sunday New York Times. Um, you know, you think, oh, women, this is for women, Noreen. Uh, my dad loved it because he was just fascinated by people. Um, okay, and one of the things uh, that now in the New York Times you see is, of course, same-sex marriages. So where the couples always used to be Male, female, male, female, male, female, there wasn't anything else. Now there's a, it's just a total mix. Two women, two men, lots of racial mixing, and it's, it's just a, it's exactly why, um, you know, some people, I guess those people who live where everybody's still white, and, and if you're gay, you're closeted, and um, it, it's the kind of reality of what, our humanity is that like scares the shit out of people and makes them vote for a clown. Anyway, so here, this is a same-sex couple, Jeff Rohrer and Joshua Ross. And I just want to say that Jeff is the 
quite a bit older uh, than his uh, husband. Um, I, I don't know what the age difference is, but I think one's about, oh, one is 36 and the other is like 60. That's it, whatever. Anyway. Okay. So here's the thing that makes this a little bit more intriguing. First of all, Jeff, the older one, is a lot bigger. He's older and he's bigger. And the, his husband looks like a little tiny kid next to him. Well, it turns out that the bigger, older guy, Jeff Rohrer, uh, was selected in the second round of the 1982 NFL draft and played for the Dallas Cowboys um, his entire uh, NFL career. Uh, which lasted for five years, 1982 to 1987. He played with uh, Coach Landry and, you know, that, who I guess he liked. Anyway, he was a linebacker. Now, if back in the 80s, anybody knew that this huge Dallas linebacker was gay, it, people's heads would have exploded, right? People's heads would have exploded. And Jeff Rohrer um, in this piece says, you know, I w <laughs> ain't no way I could come out. I'd be, I'd be fired. I mean, it's true. He would have been gone in a second. So he was closeted. And in fact, he was closeted up until just a year or so ago. He lived his entire life closeted. He knew no other way. Um, he managed to still have a very successful career after he left the Cowboys. He also, of course, like so many gay men, he married a woman. He had a family. He had children. And then he met the love of his life and um, at a tequila bar, I just want to say. And Roar, just so you know more about him, he, is, uh, he produces television commercials. And so after he was a football player, he went on, listen to, uh, his television commercials have won tons of awards even at the Cannes Film Festival. I didn't know they did commercial awards there. And uh, he's won an Emmy. He also is an artist. He paints, he sculpts. He's a master potter. Um, so that's pretty amazing. He, 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 he played college football at Yale and then, as I said, went on to the Cowboys and played with Tony Dorsett and uh, Randy White and Ed Too Tall Jones. So that was his crowd. Anyway, when he sent out uh, his wedding uh, announcements, um, he blew a lot of people's minds, uh, I guess. And he said one of his wedding invitations was actually returned uh, by a doctor friend who thought it was a joke. So he hadn't been out to anybody, and he said this when his husband-to-be walked into his life 
He said, I was completely in the closet, and if not for Josh, I'd still be in there. Speaking of in the closet, can you imagine how many professional football players, basketball players, baseball players are still in the closet? You know, we think everybody's out now. Oh, no, they ain't. And in fact, um, Jeff Rohrer, according to a sports blogging network, SB Nation, says there, are, there were only seven previously known gay players in NFL history. You know damn well there's a whole ton more. Only seven known and none of whom came out during their playing days. None. So that's still, there's not a NFL player who's out and playing. I thought there was, but no. Michael Sam was out. He played preseason games with the Rams, but he never appeared in a, in a um, regular NFL game. Anyway, so that's our... Um, Wedding announcement for the day. Uh, wow. Okay. Sorry. I was reacting to something. Um. Oh no, don't tell me I'm running out of like things that aren't serious. You mean I only made a half hour? I thought I had more. Let's hear it for Michael Bloomberg. Michael Bloomberg, ladies and gentlemen, he's rich as hell. He wasn't rich as hell when he was a kid. His father was a bookkeeper. He needed a uh, help from the federal government to go to college needed a loan. I'm thinking it's the GI Bill because he said he had a loan through the National, Def National Defense Student Loan. Is that another way of saying GI Bill? Anyway, that allowed him to go to Johns Hopkins. And after he graduated, and they immediately, of course, hit up alums for money, he gave them all he could as a young guy. He gave him $5, and um, the other day he gave them almost $2 billion, which so blows away records for what people give to their alma mater. And what I always get annoyed is when rich people give money to rich colleges so that there's a building built with their name on it and or it goes into the endowment, whatever. But Michael Bloomberg gave this money for a specific purpose. And it was, and I'm going to read his own reasoning. I am donating, I mean, he's given tons of money to them. Uh, he's given $1.5 in the past. And, uh, and plus the five dollars, <laughs> plus this one point eight billion, and he said, and so I am donating an additional one point eight billion that will be used for financial aid 
for qualified low and middle income students. This will make admissions at Johns Hopkins forever need blind. Finances will nev never again figure into a decision as to who is allowed in and who out. A lot of kids, of course, can, Johns Hopkins, by the way, it, it's like $70,000 a year. And Bloomberg says this, no qualified high school student should ever be barred entrance to a college based on his or her family's bank account. And yet, that's what is happening all the time. It's also happening in terms of the quality of education that a child gets uh, before they ever get to college. And that's what happens when property taxes are the basis of um, school funding. So rich districts get rich schools. Poor districts have poor schools. And whoever dreamed that up or whoever thinks that that is moral uh, is probably a Trump voter. Anyway, there he is, Michael Bloomberg. I mean, I, he's, he does a lot of, you know, something else that he has funded and has had inroads is um, the anti-gun stuff he does. He does a ton and puts a ton of money into it. And um, I don't know if you've been noticing, but the NRA this election cycle was outspent for the first time by anti-gun people. The NRA is losing members. It ain't gaining. And it's losing money. And um, they're still powerful as holy hell because they scare the they can they can mobilize a substantial voting block, but they ain't the only game in town. And um, I think that finally we're starting to see some traction there. And I know that Michael Bloomberg has had a lot to do with that. And he pointed out he wrote an op-ed piece in the Times today, which is explaining why he made this gift. Um, and he says, which is so true, private donations like that, you know, you can't expect billionaires to bail out what should be a public education. And he says private donations cannot and should not make up for lack of government support. And he says both at the federal and the state levels there needs to be a new commitment to improving access to college and I would argue we've got to look even further back the quality of education that we give to so many uh, poorer Americans, including in rural areas. Those are poor districts. And you see what happens when you don't get an education. You think, uh, you think it's cool to have uh, a president who denigrates everybody and uh, doesn't believe in f facts. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't help it. I still end up going back, don't I? Okay. Oh, 
oh, here's something. This, we should have known it. You know, the trigger crap, the trigger warning stuff where, you know, kids um, in college today expect to be warned if there's going to be a conversation or something in a lecture that might trigger unpleasant memories so that somebody who has been sexually assaulted uh, needs to be warned if there's any, like, sexual violence or harassment in a whatever. I mean, I'm sorry. Why don't we just give a blanket trigger warning to every baby as they emerge from the womb? Just give read the baby. Uh... An overall trigger warning. Hello, welcome to the world. It's going to do things to you, good and bad. You're going to be upset sometimes. You're going to be, well, triggered. But that's called life. Welcome to the world. Well, it turns out now that you cannot go to a play where you get a, you know, a playbill. I mean, if they handed these out at movies, and maybe at movies, too, they do sort of, do they warn you now this contains sexual, well, on television it does. But that's, I always thought that was so kids didn't watch, you know, we always think it's sex they can't watch, violence, that's just fine, but sex they can't watch. But it turns out now that if you go to the theater, increasingly, you are warned. There, the trigger warnings have come to the theater. I mean, in the most, listen to this, for a recent production of Oklahoma, you know, the musical, a recent production of Oklahoma in Brooklyn, they handed out a black card when patrons picked up their tickets, warning them that there would be gunshots as well as, quote, moments of darkness and violence. And then the black card told them that the there would be help for anybody who felt the need to leave um specifically we have people who can give guidance for those who feel compelled to walk out philadelphia's interact theater warned people coming to one of their productions recently, that this play deals with sexual assault and we have designated a safe space in the lobby and invited representatives of women organized against rape to talk to patrons upset by the material. So what's happened is that these kids who came out of college and had this these trigger warnings all the time, now expect them in their adult lives. And here's the thing, guys, theater is supposed to trigger. 
It's supposed to provoke. It's supposed to unsettle you. It's supposed to be provocative. And for millennia, people went to theater and were provoked and triggered and freaked out and surprised and everything was okay. All that without being warned, without being told there was a safe space in the lobby. It's, it's not just little theaters. Here's the artistic director of the Guthrie Theater in Minneapolis, one of the better theater companies. He said personally he doesn't like this idea, but he's had to make peace with giving people a heads up before the curtain goes up. Heads up before the curtain goes up so that I guess people don't run screaming from from the play. The uh, They recently did a production of Frankenstein and they warned people that there would be strobe lights, haze, simulated gunshots, and scenes depicting physical and sexual violence. In the South, it turns out, they're doing trigger warnings in, in red states, theater companies, which is really pretty amazing. They are doing trigger warnings in Trump country, but their trigger warnings are rarely related to violence. They almost always have to do with language and sex. And so... People have walked out of a production of Annie, the about Orphan Annie, the musical, because Daddy Warbuck says, damn. Well, I never, and off they go. Unbelievable. Yeah, all right. Well, okay, I'm going to do one horrible story about what's happening, because you should know. But then I will try to have enough time to end with something much lighter. Okay, let's do that. Our neighboring state of Ohio, which other than having, for some reason, re-elected a liberal Democrat, Sherrod Brown, as their senator, is so red, it's, I don't know, it, it, beyond belief. You know what the Ohio House of Representatives did? They have veto-proof majority in both houses of the Ohio legislature. 
And if, so what difference does that make since they elected a, a conservative Republican governor? And even when they had John Kasich as governor, I mean, I got news for you. He's a conservative Republican, too. It's just that Donald Trump makes him look moderate. Okay, so the Ohio House of Representatives last week did what I think uh, a few other states have already done, Iowa, for instance. They passed one of the most restrictive abortion bills in the country, one that says that if a fetal heartbeat is detectable, there cannot be an abortion. <coughs> Here's the thing about that. A fetal heartbeat can be detected as early as six weeks. And at six weeks, women often don't even know they're pregnant. So they couldn't say, oh, I'm pregnant? I don't want to be pregnant. At six weeks, you can hear a fetal heartbeat. So what Ohio has done is just made abortion illegal, despite the fact that the Supreme Court has said it is legal. So, no exceptions, by the way, for rape. No exception if that little beating heart uh, is there because your daddy raped you. Nothing for incest. Now, obviously, when these laws are passed, Planned Parenthood and the ACLU, not surprisingly, the two organizations on, on whose boards I sit, Planned Parenthood and the ACLU immediately file lawsuits because these they're unconstitutional so far. Um, in Iowa, a judge granted a temporary injunction blocking their law from taking effect. And North Dakota also passed such a bill. They were the first to do it. In, uh, they did it five years ago. And also that was overturned as unconstitutional by a federal judge. So this never stops them. They just keep coming. And now with the court as it is. These cases, some of these cases are going to make their way up to the court. There's more than a dozen uh, abortion cases uh, right now that are being heard at the federal appeals court level. So these are heading toward the Supreme Court. So ladies, if you want an abortion, I'd suggest now because later is going to be too late, perhaps. Other than that, you know, get a coat hanger. And in the same realm, get this, Trump's Department of Health and Human Services is making it easier for employers to refuse to pay for birth control in their insurance policies. You think it's going to stop at abortion? Under the Affordable Care Act, that was something that, sorry, you had to do unless, of course, 
you were, what, the Little Sisters of the Poor won that case that was heard right over around the corner here in the federal court. But um, the Trump administration says that if an employer has a religious or moral objection to birth control, not abortion, to birth control, they do not have to cover it. And they're saying that is because women can obtain contraceptives at family planning clinics, like Planned Parenthood that they're trying to shut down, at family clinics, family planning clinics for low-income people. And those are the clinics that they're gutting now. You don't think there's a war on women coming out of the almost all white male Republican Party? Unbelievable. Oh, no. Milton. Milton has sent me a trigger warning put out by the Royal Court Theater in London. We don't want to spoil anyone's experience of a new play at the Royal Court and therefore avoid giving too much away when promoting the play. It is often the unexpected shared moments and plot twists that capture the audience and create the debate and conversation beyond the performance. Yeah! It's this next paragraph I don't want to read. However, it says, we are also conscious that these moments can be particularly distressing for some. If there are certain themes that you know would cause you extreme distress or allergies which could cause you discomfort, what do you mean? Like you're allergic to Shakespeare? What do you mean allergies? are allergies which could cause you discomfort, and you would like to speak to one of the royal court team to find out more about a show before you book, you can call the box office. Oh, so that's what they do. That, okay, that's better. If you're a shrinking violet who shouldn't even go out, shouldn't leave your house, should uh, consider becoming an agoraphobic, you know, just stay in your house wrapped in bubble wrap. Um, yeah, that's good. That's good. Well done. That wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. That makes sense. Okay, now, <coughs> obit. And this is one of those uh, retro obits that the New York Times does because they say since 1851 when the New York Times was founded, our obituaries have overlooked many remarkable people. They're all women and, and black people. It, they don't say it, but it's have overlooked many people who weren't white men, okay? And we are now adding their stories. On a regular basis, they put these in. So the obit, this obit, is of a woman who died in 1987. She was born in 1913, but she became 
The reason she got an obit in the New York Times, belatedly, granted, is something she did as a 17-year-old in 1931. Her name was Jackie Mitchell, and on April 2nd in 1931, the New York Yankees were on their way back to New York for the beginning of the 31 season. They were on their way back from their um, spring training uh, facility in Florida at the time. And on the way, because they weren't in planes, they were in buses, they would stop and play some exhibition games on the way. And this stop was in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And they, the, can you imagine the thrill of this? The New York Yankees were coming, and they were going to play the local minor league team, the uh, Chatt Chattanooga Lookouts. And here is the thing about the Chattanooga, New, Chat, God, that's hard for me to say, Chattanooga lookouts. Their pitcher was a girl. It was an all-male team, but there was a 17-year-old girl who was the pitcher. Her name was Jackie Mitchell. Uh... That day, she struck out Babe Ruth. And Lou Gehrig. She struck out both. The New York Times wrote an article about it the next day. The headline was, Girl Pitcher Fans Ruth and Gehrig. And she had her picture taken there on the mound. Well, to this day, there are people who say it was a hoax. That Ruth and Gehrig were in on it. That maybe the they figure that the, the guy who was the uh, owner of the Chattanooga Lookouts was a little bit of a showman who had and the reason that he'd heard about this girl and said, I'm going to put her on my team. Because he figured it would draw crowds. And his name was, I don't know, something, Engel, Joe Engel. And um, so people didn't believe it. They, I mean, they said, there's no way. There's no way that Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig both struck out with this 17-year-old girl. But here's the thing. I mean, no one's ever going to know. But here's the thing. This kid, her name was actually Vern Beatrice Mitchell, but they called her Jackie. Don't ask me why. She grew up in Chattanooga, and her house was right near the house of a guy named Dazzy Vance, who would become a Hall of Fame baseball pitcher. 
He was considered the premier strikeout pitcher of the 1920s. And Jackie Mitchell always credited Dazzy Vance for making her the pitcher that struck out Ruth and Gehrig because he taught her how to pitch a drop ball, which we call a sinker today. And so the people who say she did it say, you know, I don't care if you're Ruth or whatever, if you're, you've never seen a pit, this picture before, and she was a lefty, a lefty, and they were lefties. That gives the advantage to the pitcher, I believe, right? Left-handed pitcher pitching to left-handed batters. And she had this deceptive pitch, which they think they see, and then just goes, <coughs> drops down. People said Babe Ruth would have been in on this hoax, that he liked doing stuff like that. He was a serious you know, he was a serious player, but on the other hand, he liked to have some fun. But everybody says there's no way Lou Gehrig would have done this. No way. Anyway, you would think we'd know this about this, but we don't because the baseball commissioner voided Jackie Mitchell's contract after the game. We can't have no 17-year-old girls striking out Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth. So they, they threw her out. She never... She went on to play for some other all-girls team or something and hung up her glove at the age of 23. She maintained to her dying day that there was no fix-in. I struck him out. Actually, I'll give you her exact words. In an interview shortly before her death, Mitchell stood her ground. Why, hell, she said. Why, hell, they were trying damn right. Hell, she said. Better hit better hitters than them couldn't hit me. Wonder what hitters she's talking about. <laughs> better hitters than them couldn't hit hit me. Why should they've been any different? We rest our case. Jackie Mitchell, seventeen year old girl, Chattanooga, Tennessee, struck out Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. You know what? I don't know, but I want to believe it, right? That's one of those things I'm, I believe this because I absolutely have to. She must have had a mean pitch or she wouldn't have been on the team to start with. <coughs> so, well, there's that. And guess what? We made it through, and I didn't do too many depressing things. Granted, the abortion and the birth control crap, but other than that, ow. Pretty good, huh? And Amy, will you tell me, do I do that? I've noticed today, I keep looking over here like there's somebody here who's responding to me. Have I been doing that? I do that all the time? 
Why did I just notice that today? I'll say something, and you do know, and I'm looking at a friggin' bulletin board and an African mask. And he never responds to anything I say. He just sits there like, I just noticed that. That's so odd. There's nothing over there. And I never look over here, so the poor people sitting over here, I never I give them a cold shoulder. I'm sorry. That's a light switch and a temperature control. All right, that's it for me. Goodbye. See you tomorrow. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.